Hey everybody, Liz here. So very glad you're joining us for our fifth episode of the Viola Centric Podcast. If you've listened to our last couple of conversations, you know that Stephanie and I have made a plan to watch the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and then discuss it on this episode. The conversation ran really deep and the film meant a lot to us. So we've decided to air it in a separate small bonus episode that we'll be releasing next Monday, February 22nd. If you haven't seen the film yet, we highly recommend it and would love to hear your perspectives. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this episode of the Viola Centric Podcast. I love accents. Me too. I love accents from Spain. Me too. French accents, obviously Italian. Mm-hmm. I love I love Russian accents. I love it. Do you think that there's anybody from another country that thinks American <laughs> accents are sexy? No. No. <laughs> right? I mean, probably. Probably someone somewhere is like, I mean, this accent is really hot. There's a fetish for everything. There's a fetish for everything. Welcome to the Viola Centric Podcast. We are two curious violists exploring the art of connection through conversations with each other and our friends. I'm Stephanie Knudsen. And I'm Liz O'Hara Starr. And we're both professional freelance musicians living in the DC metro area. Okay, so I'm really into these British procedurals. Hinterland is one that comes to mind. It's these people in Wales. They have these amazing accents, but I cannot understand them. Like, <laughs> Do you have to turn the subtitles on? Yes, I turn on the <laughs> subtitles and then I can understand it so much better. So when someone has a really strong accent, even if it's like British or Welsh or Scandinavian and it's just a really strong accent, sometimes I do just turn it on. Or sometimes people, they have different slang and different colloquialisms Mm -hmm. that we don't use here. Yeah, And so I would never, ever have caught it if I didn't put on the subtitles. You're like, what is this word? (laughs) I didn't, not familiar with that version of English, but. Yeah. I think the subtitle thing has become very common, right? But we have this debate in my family about this. Mm. My parents have really gotten into having the subtitles on like almost everything they watch unless it's really American. So my sister likes to turn the subtitles on too. But her husband, we, we were visiting when my baby nephew was just about two months old was when we met him. And we were up there visiting and we were watching something on TV and somebody's like, can, can we put the subtitles on? And Ken, my brother-in-law is like, oh, I hate the subtitles. It's so distracting. I can't watch. All I do is read. And I was like, oh my God, that's how I feel. I feel like I can't get into the story because I'm too busy reading the word, even when I don't need them, oh, you know? Yeah, I could see that. It's made me go down this like thought rabbit hole of how it's true. We all learn and process information differently, right? I wonder what the difference is between if you're someone who can have the subtitles and it's not just a total distraction from the story mm-hmm. or like you only use them when you need them or whatever. Or like for me, it's so distracting, but I haven't watched something that I really can't understand 
So I'll have to weigh in on this when I have more information. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if you watch more stuff that's made in other countries where they're speaking English, but they're not necessarily native speakers. Yeah. You might have that experience. There is this hilarious Netflix series called Norsemen, and it's a bunch of Norwegian actors. They're speaking English, but some of their <laughs> accents are just not quite what I'm used to. So I turn on the subtitles for that. And oh my gosh, this show, if you like Monty Python, have you ever yes. watched Monty Python? It's kind of that kind of humor. It is. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's my recommendation <laughs> for our listeners who are looking for something just to binge. There's a couple seasons. They're like 30 minutes long. Oh, Awesome. That's I love to know that because I want to watch these things, but I don't know how to have the time to do it. But if it's 30 minute binges, my most recent binge and I am woefully behind. I'm only in the second season is Schitt's Creek. <gasps> it's great. Yes. It's oh. so funny. Yes. It's so funny. I'm obsessed, obsessed with Dan Levy. Like I want him to be my best friend. Yes. And the actress <laughs> who plays his sister, Alexis. Yes. I can't recall her name right now, but it's just their in their chemistry and interplay is so good. Yes. And Catherine O'Hara. Oh, oh my god, everything about it. It's just hysteric. I mean, I love them all. I love them all. <laughs> I know. They're endearing, right? So endearing and so funny. So many just like burst out laughing kind of moments. Oh, wait till you get to the parts where they just make you cry. I haven't officially gotten to like a real tearjerker moment yet. Oh, you will. But yeah, so Norseman, I will check that out as well. Now that I know that it's 30 minutes. I'm in. <laughs> I can handle a 30 minute binge. Can handle that. Maybe turn on the subtitles. <laughs> yes, give it a try with subtitles. Yeah. That'll be a good experience for me. Or try it first without. If I can handle it. Yeah. Don't feel like you are a failure if you have to turn them on. <laughs> this will be an interesting thing to talk about with our listeners if they decide to watch too. I'll be curious to know. Like, are you a subtitle person or are you distracted by subtitles? <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. <laughs> Speaking of viewing. Mm, yes. Yeah. So we're going to be playing a live stream a few days from when you hear this podcast. Yay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So our motivation for doing live streams is obviously to perform in person for a live audience, but it's also to explore new collaborations with people who we wouldn't have normally had the opportunity to perform with during our normal orchestral work because both of us work normally in the orchestral and opera world. So we are excited to have our friend Greg Watkins, who plays upright bass, but he also plays electric bass, and he plays in lots of different genres of music. And I am just super excited to play with him. We're both going to be performing with Greg. Mm -hmm. And then we're also going to have this amazing performing duo called Kentucky Avenue with us. And these folks are, you should really check them out. Yes. I have never performed in this genre of music before. So I'm really excited to expand my horizons in this way. I'm excited too. We're going to be in a new gallery this time. We're going to be at the Fred Schneider Gallery in Arlington, Virginia. And we got to kind of map out the space yesterday all together. And Stella and Dave from Kentucky Avenue played a song with Greg just to give us a taste of what it was going to be like. And it was so much fun. It's just so cool. I just smiling so big thinking about how this is going to feel doing this concert. I think it's going to be really fun. Yes. Yeah, so put it in your calendar. It's going to be on February 18th, which is a Thursday at 7pm Eastern Standard Time. And we're going to be featuring the art 
of two artists who are featured at the gallery at this time. And it's really remarkable, really stimulating art that we're going to get some close-ups of, and you're going to see some of that at the top of our live stream. Yes. The names of the artists are Sherry Trachtman and Jenny Wu, and both of them have very unique and specific points of view, I think, and they use different materials. It's really very striking art, I think. Really interesting. Yeah. Jenny Wu's, her art really kind of speaks to me as a baker. <laughs> Any of you are bakers and you make those layered cookies where you dye, you color the dough different colors, and then you roll it out and you stack them up and then you cut them in slices. Yes. And you have these beautiful multicolored cookies once you bake them. Imagine art that's made out of cutouts that look like that. <laughs> I love it. And just piece together different ways. You know what I mean? I love it. I love it. That's so good. Really, it spoke to me. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot imagine the amount of work that went into that. And they're just so cool. Yes, they are super, super cool. I think it provides this very cool atmosphere. I don't know, there's something about it. Like it evokes a certain feeling, which is kind of fun as well. Yeah, there's this wall of cassette tape ribbons. Yep. Old Diane Ream shows. Yes. I love Diane Ream. We love Diane Ream. It's such a tactile, cool thing. We'll try and get some more images of that when we go in there for subsequent rehearsals. So we'll post those on our stories so you can experience it. It's so cool. Yeah. I think as far as the music goes, it is definitely going to have a different feel than our last concert. Of course, we need to mention that we're going to feature pieces of music by Scott Slappin of the Slappin Solomon duo, who we had as guests on our podcast last time. And we love the pieces we're playing of Scott's. We just love them. Yeah. Every single time we play them, we're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Yeah. In between cursing his name for all the octaves. Yeah. Scott. Lots and lots of chords. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> But they sound so good. But it sounds good. It's worth the work, I think. Worth the work. Worth the work. It's just really fun to play something written in 2015. That is when Prelude was written. Mm -hmm. And know that there's still room for creative and beautiful expression in music when it comes to composition. It's just very affirming. That's what I love about art, too, is it can be interpreted all kinds of different ways. And it's meant to make you feel something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of the visual art that we see in the Fred Schneider Gallery and also the audio audio art, auditory art, the aural, A-U-R-A-L art. <laughs> right. <laughs> the sound art that Liz and I are going to be presenting to you and the rest of us are going to be presenting also you get to have your own experience and that's the beauty of art yes and if it inspires you then oh man i that's the goal yeah yep i was buzzing with creativity after our meeting yesterday with yeah. everybody energized oh so energized it's going to be really fun so once again february 18th that's a thursday seven o'clock it's going to be from our facebook page just like before, we are so excited to interact with you. We want all the reactions, all the comments. Just keep them coming the whole time. Uh, we had such a blast doing that last time. So, yeah. Yeah, so tune in for that. And in the meantime, if you're listening to this, please subscribe 
to our podcast. And if you love it, please leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out in ways that it's hard to describe. Yeah. But we're going to have a giveaway that's related to writing reviews coming up here soon. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to tease that. It's going to come out in our social media and you can participate in that very, very soon. But in the meantime, please stay tuned. We're having this amazing discussion with Kentucky Avenue and Greg, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. So hi, guys. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Good to see you. Yeah. See your whole faces. That's right. I know. That's right. You recognize me now? Oh, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. The world of wearing a mask when you meet a new person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can't wait till that's over. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I'm wearing four masks now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't gotten into the double up yet. I yeah. haven't either. I guess I probably should. You should join the yeah. club. I should join the, the double, up, the double club. up club. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> but you guys have played some shows during the time of COVID, right? Very few. What has your gig life been like? Pretty slim. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, like mm -hmm. one actual official show. We had a, a show booked at Hill Country. At Hill Country barbecue from March 20th. Mm. And I think the last show at Hill Country was the Friday or Saturday before. So we lost that one. And then that was that. We got one in on Labor Day weekend, which was outdoors at uh, B Cord Brewery because they've got 500 acres or whatever out there. Out in Purcellville. Yeah. Round Hill. Round Hill. Mm -hmm. And then other than that, we played on my porch in November. And yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Slim Pickens. Oh. Well, so maybe this would be a good time for you guys to tell us how you came together and what your performing life was like before COVID. It is kind of a funny story. I'm a high school English teacher at a all-girls school in Washington, D.C., and I was asked to participate in a school event where what we call a dad band <laughs> often played, and the people organizing it thought it might be kind of fun for the students if I went, sat in on a few songs, and I think you like to talk about what you all Right. So, uh, so I was, I was in prior to Kentucky Avenue, I was in this, a, a dad band for lack. I was just gonna say you were a member of the dad band. I yes. was right. Yes. And nothing cooler than a dad. There's nothing cooler. Yeah. Right. This is the first time hearing. They have the best band. Uh, yeah. And I have three sons. So I don't have any girls that go to the school where Stella teaches. I'm pretty much just a, you know, a hired guitar gunslinger in the dad band. <laughs> and everyone else in the band had girls at Stella's school. So they had organized this fall event and kind of the emails were going around that one of the faculty members, you know, teacher is going to be sitting in with the dad band, you know, we're, we're cool. <laughs> and then so our emails start flinging around. It's like, oh, you know, it's going to be Sister Mary Margaret and her ukulele and, you know. <laughs> Little did they know. Right. Heck yeah. And what, one of the dads, a friend of mine, Scott, he emailed and he's like, I have her album, dude, she's legit. Right. So that's all he said. So we're kind of playing this little warm up show in my friend's front yard at a barbecue the summer, like right before the, the school event. event. Yeah. And she shows up and long story short, it's not Mary Margaret and her ukulele. 
<laughs> it's Stella. And as soon as she started singing, I was like, holy moly. Awesome. And that was that. I was like, you, <laughs> come here. Uh, anyway, so yeah. we started rehearsing some things together, started writing, and in about a month or six weeks, yeah. I'd written that first record. Yeah. And, uh, and that was that. You know, that was like going into 2017. Yeah. Um, it was fun because when we were practicing for the school event, we would just kind of say, hey, we, I was working on this song or I wrote this a long time ago, but I never recorded it. And, you know, that's where all of the Kentucky Avenue music kind of originated just with our kind of backlog of, of songs. And then, uh, yeah, I yep. mean, it was really fat. It just kind of all clicked at once. It was so exciting, you know, just to, I don't just kind of tap into that creative energy and watch these songs that were kind of sitting on the shelves for a while, you know, just come to life. And yeah, it was yep. really great. I love that. That is so great. And now how did our dear buddy Greg come mm. into the picture? Was he in the dad band too? No. He is a dad. I'm a dad, but <laughs> I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> Greg has played uh, a, one short little half set with the dad band at the school function. And everyone in the dad band is like not a musician. So Greg sits in with them and they're like, damn, right? <laughs> <laughs> the ringer. Anyways, when we were starting to do pre-production on our first record, I was reaching out to some folks looking for, for players. And I have a background in film and TV music, so I know, know a lot of composers. Uh, so I reached out to a friend of mine, a guy named Charlie Burnett, who I'd done a lot of TV stuff with. And I'm like, hey, we're doing this record. And I, if you know any upright players, I'd, you know, I'd love for you to send them their way. And he comes right back. He's like, Greg Watkins, he's basically the man and he can sing, He like so on and so forth. Dave, you make me blush. Oh, I know, Aww. I know. <laughs> the other kind of reverse happenstance was Greg had played in a rock band called The Sketches with a friend of mine named Anthony Allen that I had worked with at Discovery for, for ages and ages. So, and, and I had seen them play live before a couple times because I was friends with, with Anthony. So I knew who Greg was and I had seen Greg play at Charlie Barnett's Christmas parties and sitting in. So I knew of, you know, the legend of Greg. <laughs> He's legendary now. Yeah. yeah. Almost time for a memorial concert. <laughs> <laughs> tribute concert to Greg Watkins. <laughs> so we just reached out and said, hey, we're making this record. And, you know, I know Anthony, I know Charlie. And, and that was that. The rest is history. Very cool. Greg, is that the record that I played for? That's the record you played for. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Your name is in the liner notes. Ah, oh, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Sorry if you didn't get the CD. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Where's my copy? <laughs> it's yeah. coming. It's coming. Crazy. <laughs> It's in the mail. Checks in the mail. <laughs> you guys are on Spotify, right? Yes. I'm just going to go over there and follow you and get it all downloaded. Good. That is crazy. It's so crazy. That's awesome. It's a small world. Yeah. It really is such a small world, the music world. Yeah. Right. For that first record, what happened was I kind of wanted to see if I could put some strings on it. Mm -hmm. And I asked Dave and Stella, I think this one song called Lion's Den would be a really nice song to, to layer it with like an orchestra. And they said, okay, well go for it. And that's where it was being recorded at this really famous studio called Inner Ear Studios in Arlington. A lot of, Dave, who's recorded there? I mean, there's been some major. The DC Punk 
bands, Fugazi, Minor Threat, uh, you know, Dave Grohl records there when mm -hmm. he comes into town. It's like the legendary DC punk recording studio. Stella Schindler recorded wow. a solo record there. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> it's legit. So that's when, Liz, I, I asked you to play because I put together a, a string quintet, oh. and that's where we played the track Lion's Den yeah. on the first record, which is called what, Dave and Stella? Nothing Here Is Mine. Available wherever music is streamed. Right. You got it. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. That was a great gig. Yeah, thanks, Greg, for the gig, too. Yeah. <laughs> I love getting the opportunity to do things like that. And I think sometimes when you are primarily a classical orchestral musician, you get a little pigeonholed in that way. And people don't necessarily assume that this is something you'd be interested in doing. I'm always up for it. But also, I could theoretically walk to inner ear studios. So that was another really cool. great bonus. I didn't have a long road trip to get there. <laughs> Those gigs are few and far between the ones that That's right. you could actually, you can't turn down ones that you can walk to. No, you can't. You can't turn those down. Right. <laughs> But yeah, we, we love to do stuff outside of the classical realm. And in fact, some of my favorite gigs are with the American Pops, with Liz and Greg is in the rhythm section there. And we do a whole bunch of just kind of out of the box concerts and productions. And that's just, it's like a breath of fresh air for us. It's cool. It's so fun. It's just so fun. Right. Yesterday, after you guys came in, there was this really fun energy shift that occurred. And then when you played a little bit for us, it was so great to hear you. First of all, you sound awesome. And we're so excited to collaborate with you. But like my energy was like through the roof when I left. And creativity in music is something that Stephanie and I have been talking a lot about since we started Viola Centric. So it's just another layer of why it's exciting that you were available and wanted to join us on this right back at yeah, you yeah right seriously <laughs> we love thinking outside of the box on that stuff too and you know thinking about like that lion's den session and how much that brings to the table and just changes the music in just cool ways and i was telling this to the songwriter michael that i mm -hmm. had met with yeah. before this talking about greg and what his symphonic playing brings to our Amer americana right. music you know like We'll be playing Folsom Prison Blues, and then it'll start bowing shit over top of that. And you're like, whoa, like this is freaking cool. <laughs> it just elevates the music and creates something unique. Yeah, I've always felt that with classical music, Americana, and jazz, they're really both sides of the same coin. Mm. And so they lend themselves very easily to this, I guess you call it crossover or hybrid, but really it's all kind of the same stuff to me. Huh. But that's that's my unsophisticated bassy. I'm like, okay, G, D. Right, <laughs> right. Back, back to G. Like yeah. every bass line and every type of music is the same. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> that's not true. Right. You had to go to school for that for four yeah. years? <laughs> I needed the school. <laughs> You know, I was put in remedial theory. No, I'm serious. They even called it remedial theory. It was so 1995. <laughs> remedial anything. So, Greg, were you trained as a classical bass player or were you doing both jazz and... I never studied jazz in college at the college. I was really fortunate to, um, to start moonlighting at my freshman year. So many things, I think, for all of us musicians are sort of a series of misfortunate events. <laughs> what got me with jazz, and it was really a blessing, was a friend of mine was a bass player. And he was older than me. He was a graduate student level. And a real great schmoozer, great talker at, at 
and he got into this big band. And he was a classical player, but they let him sit in with this big band. I say, okay, come play with us. Well, he called me, and this is a little weird because he called me and he said, Greg, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to do half the gig. Can you do the other half of the gig? Because I don't think I can do the whole gig. <laughs> so who does that? <laughs> So they said, okay, fine. He, I come to the gig, and it's weird because they're like, why are there two bass players at a gig? <laughs> this is a big band. You don't have two bass players. And not only was he kind of a schmoozer, and he did, he did fine, but he took the book, these book of stock charts. These are books that have been put together for years and years and years, and he lost the book. <laughs> so they fired him and hired me. Uh... I had done some jazz on guitar and, and some rock things in, in high school and that, but this was my first time playing any jazz with real folks and these are some of the best jazz players in the on the planet in my view there's some of these people from the military bands i mean dc washington dc when you talk about jazz players you know i think the people especially in the military bands are some of the best in the world mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely and they all play with a lot of these big bands so here i get this even better than a college in some ways i get to literally thrown into the to the lion's den <laughs> way to bring it back see what i did there Stella? i know that was good that's called a callback with these amazing players and that's where i sort of cut my teeth in the jazz world actually just having to do it on a gig so that's where it started with me um and you know jazz and forays into rock so that's where i was fortunate enough to get a lot of experience in college actually working it was hard to do to actually play gigs and do the do the college thing at the same time, which is why I didn't do great in college. But I was there doing what I wanted to do, which was learn to play. Yeah. yeah. So that was my experience. You must have passed remedial theory. <laughs> I think they passed me, but you know, I, I know my key signatures. <laughs> you know enough to do some pretty great arranging and transcribing and mm -hmm. oh, thanks. yeah, trying my best. One of the things that I love to do is write orchestra for for pop. And, you know, when you play on people's sessions or write strings or a full symphony for a band is one of the things I really love to do the most. My rock group, The Sketches, before we kind of, we didn't disband, we just haven't been playing a lot. I did an orchestral, a full orchestral record with The Sketches. So every song on the whole record had a full symphony on it. Going to figure out how to release that record someday. Cool. I love it. Well, this morning, mm -hmm. if I may, totally. I was listening to the unreleased record of Kentucky Avenue, Ballad of the Past. And, and Dave, I'm not sure when it's going to be fully released. There's going to be another single next Friday. Enough is coming out uh, on the 12th. Cool. And then we may do one single springish, and then the whole thing probably early summer. I'm privy to have all the tracks because I need to play it. But one of the things that we recorded, we actually recorded some of this as the pandemic was in its heyday. I think the last day of the session was March. 18th or 16th or something like that something like mm -hmm. that yeah yeah right before lockdown the day that this was done i was actually worried that i wasn't going to be able to get out of maryland i was a little bit afraid you know because things were going haywire at the time we didn't know exactly what was happening or how things were going to lock down and i was thinking i remember this because we were going to have a little like a little dinner break and if anyone knows me i'm kind of a high anxiety worrier no <laughs> a little, little bit a little bit <laughs> And I thought, they're going to shut down the Capitol Beltway. Because you said, let's have a dinner break. And I said, hey, guys, could we please just finish my tracking so I can go home? Right. Just go. And I think Eugene yeah. was the last song that we recorded before I went home. And I can hear on the bass line, I'm pushing and I'm pushing and I'm pushing. <laughs> yeah. And it works for the song. It, I don't think I'm rushing the, the bass line. But I think there's a sense of urgency 
in the play. Right. <laughs> you know, that's a really deep story. If you let yourself go down that road and think about it, yeah. on our last episode, we talked with colleagues who are violists, but composers. And he was mentioning, you know, when someone's performing something, even if your intention was something entirely different with the song, whatever that performer is experiencing in the moment is going to come out in the music. And there is there's actually nothing you could do about that. Right. Even if you were aware, Greg, that anxiety was creating this sense of urgency in the sound, what would it have been like to try to like rein that in? I mean, you're just going through that experience in that time and to have like a time capsule moment in music of like, this is how this felt, guys, like getting shut down. This is kind of how this felt like that's it. That's interesting. It, but and often in recording scenarios, that's where the magic happens. And that's why everything is different. And I was listening to something that, to Rick Rubin's podcast, Broken Record. Broken Record. Yeah. And he had Dave Cobb on, who's like the top Nashville guy who does like Chris mm -hmm. Stapleton and Brandon yeah. Carlisle. And they're just talking like, how come the demo is always better than the record? You know, it's because it was one take and it was just a moment in time. And maybe there was something about that moment in time that was just special. I love that idea too, because when you listen to a record and you listen to it over and over and over again, you kind of lose the concept that it, it was just a snapshot in time. Right. That was one performance. Right. So live music is so much more dynamic than that. Yeah. Because you could hear it like five different live shows and it would be different every single time. Mm -hmm. The best example of this I can think of is you guys know Counting Crows. Mm -hmm. You've listened to their records, right? Mm -hmm. And we all get the idea of how, you know, long December, how that goes. Right. And then you hear a live recording and it's completely different. He does a completely different melody every single time that it comes back. And it can be frustrating for some listeners because you want to sing along, right? You want to do the melodies that you remember from the from the record. And he's just doing something completely different because it's a performance. Mm -hmm. And he clearly feels that every different show is a different facet of whatever he's going through that day. Or I, That's what I just love about live performance is that you can listen to, like I said, five different ones and everyone will be different in some way. And it's a reflection of what the performer is going through. Right. Can I just say thank you for referencing the Counting Crows because <laughs> I love the Counting Crows and I haven't thought about them in maybe like three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Stella, you have your origin story for Kentucky Avenue, but before this, it sounds like you were writing music on your own for a long time. Were you kind of just like going it solo for all those years? Mm -hmm. And do you guys have training in music or was this just your passion project outside of teaching English? Yes. <laughs> Empowering young ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I've always loved singing, but I never had any formal training. And I really didn't sing publicly until college when I was in some college bands and and then I didn't start writing until I actually, until I started playing guitar, which was after college. So a lot of this happened pretty late in life. I mean, considering how many people start when they're little, like learning the recorder and <laughs> all of those things, piano. And, but I, no, I just, I loved to sing. And I think the learning guitar was just to start accompanying myself. And so I kind of made it a little, for a uh, into the singer songwriter world 
And at the time when I was learning guitar, I was living in Omaha, Nebraska, and I had lived there for two years. But in those two years, I wrote a bunch of songs and had two solo gigs under my belt. And so, yeah, I have a kind of folky album I put out in 2000. And then I have an album that was recorded at Inner Ear with a lot of the musicians who were in kind of that punk rock field and graciously worked with me on the second record, which I put out in 2008. Cool. Yes. So, but then between 2008 and 2017, I mean, I had been performing solo and maybe with, you know, accompanied by a drummer or another guitarist in those years, but really i one summer i decided to take a summer off and it turned out to be like seven years <laughs> yeah you know and i would play for my students or i would sort of just dabble in it myself but it really wasn't until the dad band scenario that i really got to kind of got yanked back into the music world and honestly what a joy to just be back in in the midst of it and um, now I'm blushing and now, <laughs> and now Dave's blushing but Aww. but no yeah. no formal training along the way just a lot of listening to others and learning as much as I could wherever I could I'm like inspired and also envious by that musical journey because what it means is that you didn't have the training to dictate where you went with it. I don't casually listen to classical music. That's just not something I do. But I was trained in classical music and I love it. And I love to perform it. I love to learn it. There's no question it's a huge part of my life. But I have always felt this like desire to have... I just didn't think I could be creative on my own. I didn't think I could create my own music. I didn't think it was a thing I was capable of doing. Now I'm starting to feel a little differently. And so I hear that story and I think, oh, that's just so cool because you just had the freedom. It was just like you had stuff coming out of you yeah. and you found ways to express that. And the right things have found you at the right times, it seems. And so yes. it's just very exciting. And I, whatever you feel inspires you for your creative process, like I'm, I am geeking out a little just like hearing about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse not having the formal training because there is a way, you know, when I started playing guitar, what I could do vocally was a lot more than what I could do on the guitar. And yet, mm. you know, I was using my guitar to accompany me. So there was, I put a lot of stock in my lyrics instead of doing a lot vocally. I mean, the melodies were there. And this is why I think it's it's been so good to work with other musicians. And obviously there's a lot of give and take and some compromising that gets done, which is actually really rich. But I think that since I've been in Kentucky Avenue, I've been able to use my voice in a way that I would never have been able to do or even think to do just writing my own songs. So that is something I've just been so grateful for. Yeah. So Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Right back and Greg. You. Oh, I love that. I love it. That Well, that's speaking to the other thing that Stephanie and I are just absolutely enamored with, which is the art of collaboration mm -hmm. and what collaborating with other creative minds can do. It's a nice change from the orchestral world. Mm -hmm. This is not to put down the orchestral world in any way. It's a, it's a great world. It's a, it's a world that the three of us have trained more than half our lives that's right. to, be, to be a part of. But that's why it's so great to, to get out of that comfort zone. 
it's important to do, I think, at least for me it was. And I'm grateful that every, for every opportunity that I've had to step away from just an orchestra. Yeah. Well, and Greg, too, that stepping away has meant that you're working during this time. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I you've been doing some some outside of orchestral work. Yeah. Everything I've done has been very safe. I've turned down work that I didn't feel was safe. It's been cool. I've been, I've done yoga. I haven't, I haven't been doing yoga. I've been playing <laughs> music for yoga classes. Oh. That is so cool. Actually, that's one thing with the American Pops Orchestra. That, and that's where it ties into like what Kentucky Avenue is doing. It's it's all fulfilling and perpetuating the Great American Songbook, which is so vast, mm -hmm. uh, what, what they consider Great American Songbook, from everything from Irving Berlin and Cole Porter to Tina Turner, Whitney Houston, mm -hmm. to Dolly Parton and, and uh, Merle Haggard. Yep. And everything in between from there. So... You know, some of the yoga things that we've done is I, we even did a Dolly Parton yoga. <laughs> did you really? I love it. I can't imagine. <laughs> we took six or seven Dolly Parton songs and we tried to make them as yoga-esque as it could be. <laughs> what exactly does that mean? <laughs> Where is this album? It was live streamed. How do you yogify? What does working nine to five Nine to five yogified sound like. Yeah. <laughs> you start with some, maybe some long dulcet tones. Uh -huh. And then you slowly, you know, you know, if you're doing the stretching sort of stuff, you slowly go into Greg is stretching right now. If... Yeah, you can't see him. but Yeah, Greg is about to go into his downward dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't do yoga. I just uh... you know it's funny. Do you guys know this app, Insight Timer? It's a meditation app primarily, but it's every morning I just try to dedicate twenty minutes of silent meditation is the first thing I do in the day. And the Insight Timer has you can just set it for twenty minutes, and then you can literally have a Tibetan singing bowl like ring you out, and it's really nice. But they have so many free resources, and they do these. People are just live all day long presenting meditations, yoga classes, whatever. And this morning, I just happened to notice there was this guy in his picture as a piano. And in his live, every Sunday morning for an hour, he just sits there and he plays the calmest piano tunes, like just for people who want to just chill out, I guess. And I was like, this is a great idea. Why aren't we doing this more often? Like, <laughs> sounds like fun. Greg, you should get into that. Yeah, Greg, you could probably make some money. I think they have a way for people to donate to whoever's doing the entertainment. So yeah, I've got experience. Now. Yeah, actually, one of the, the most fun things we did with that was one of them, we did disco. Yoga. <laughs> Those two things seem like they are counter to each other. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, Greg, you could have like a whole series of this stuff, but you'd have to wear like a costume, like you have to wear like a disco, like John Travolta. I, I would subscribe to that. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So I am wondering, because I think our listeners may wonder this too, Kentucky Avenue is not named because you're from Kentucky together, but what's the origin story behind deciding to name that band, name the band Kentucky Avenue? When we first started rehearsing, we were rehearsing in Stella's classroom. And after, you know, a month or so of rehearsing, things were just falling into place. And we knew that this was going to be something moving forward. So I said, you should come have dinner at my house and meet my family and blah, 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 you know. And she's like, great, you know, just, you know, we're wrapping up gear, just text me the address of where you live and packing stuff up. And then she's kind of standing there kind of like <laughs> looking at her phone and she says, Seth, 
Kentucky Avenue in Bethesda? And I was like, yeah, it's a weird story, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I used to live in that house. What? <laughs> Stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Stephanie, what you're doing, that's what I did. Yeah. I, I was like... Well, he also said a few things. Right. I was yeah. like... Then I said I had to move out. It was a group house at the time. And we had to move out because the owner had sold it to new people. And it turns out that those new owners were right. Dave and Jenna. So... No So way. almost 20 years ago, uh, Dave kicked out his future bandmates. Oh, my you were gosh. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I was evicted. You were yep. evicted. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is hysterical. We couldn't stop laughing. I mean, and just, and, or laughing and also just. Just stunned. reveling in like yeah. the, the cosmic yes. beauty of it all. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> we're like, well, we got a name. Right. Right. Know? That was it. Because we were dabbling with different names and we didn't, you know, yeah. but that was it. It's like, yep. It's there Kentucky Avenue. Mm -hmm. What are the odds? Isn't that funny? There so, were a lot of things like that that happened. Yeah, it's cool. It's a good story. It's yeah. a really good story. That house does not exist anymore, by the way. Uh, yeah. But the legend lives on. The legend lives on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And did you know, Liz, that I went to college with Greg's wife? No. Yeah. I did not know that. We were in orchestra together, Kimberly. They were roommates. They had a big falling out. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine anyone having a falling out with Stephanie. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, you guys you guys attended the, the great uh, James Madison mm -hmm. University. Yeah. I didn't know your wife was a musician. My wife is an excellent cellist. Oh. It's not what she does professionally, but she's a fantastic cellist. She gets music. She loves the music. She went really far in it. But she lives a kind of, I think, beautiful existence with music because everything that she did with the cello and with music was fun and beautiful and all about loving it. Mm. She didn't have to go through the, the tortures that we that maybe we, we did too. The, the rejection of auditions and mm. competitions and not getting into this or, or, or not advancing at this audition for, you know, Sheboygan Symphony, <laughs> something mm -hmm. like that. So it's it's actually really great because we one of the things we love to do most is sit outside by the fire and, we, and listen to music, and she gets it every bit as you know I think in some ways a lot of ways more than more than me. Mm. Yeah, there's just this genuine enthusiasm for every aspect of it. I wouldn't consider myself cynical by any stretch of the imagination. I'm like grateful and appreciative of every second I have in my life to make music. But every once in a while, you know, the irritations of what it is to do this for a living can creep in. And there's just that just doesn't exist if it's not your profession, I guess. I don't know, though. I don't know. I think there's something to that. Mm -hmm. Dave, do you have full time jobs outside of Kentucky Avenue? Or is this what pretty much what you do? I actually run a music business and do a lot of consulting. I write music for TV shows. I've been in music publishing for about two decades. I was at Discovery Channel for 10 years. I actually just started a new kind of music house and I'm doing custom projects and starting an artist catalog, a score catalog and a song catalog. After the corporate stint, I've been just kind of freelancing in the music and media space, which has been great. And things have kind of been growing organically and you know, there's you know some cool things going on. So it's been fun. Oh, 
I'm so curious about that part of the business. Well, totally. I mean, it's an interesting space. And the majority of artists that I have run into playing in the Metro DC area know nothing about this part of the world. We don't. It's true. This area is very underserved there. So I thought that the idea behind the kind of little music house I'm starting is to kind of serve this area in that space. That's kind of the plan. DC, I feel, is one of the best music towns pre-COVID for sure, and hopefully post-COVID, one of the best music towns as a consumer of music and as a musician. There are so many different levels and tiers and genres and mm -hmm. diverse areas to go that you know a lot of the quote-unquote music towns don't have. So I think DC is a special place in that mm -hmm. regard, mm -hmm. but they have no real kind of music publishing core. It's really great that you acknowledge that the DC area has no shortage of talent. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. Do you have a name for your business? Are you, do you have a marketable name yet? Yeah, it's called Vehicle Music Group. Vehicle Music Group. Yeah. yeah. I see a massive market for that here for you. Yeah. With Viola Centric, I see possibilities for us to be curious about how we might be able to do some things totally. and to know somebody that can help us with that is really exciting and again to mention that during this time this idea presented itself to you so that you had the room to kind of work it out in your mind you know yeah and really a lot of folks had reached out to me and kind of through that collaboration pieces have started to fall together i've like soft launched it and I've kind of started the consulting and some of the custom side and now like the catalog building starts but the, that's that's what happened I think people kind of woke up and also found that with no live shows they also had time to start thinking about mm -hmm. how to fill in that 360 degree circle of what you need to be a musician a full-time musician mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, I chalk that up to some of the lemonade that came out of the lemons of 2020, mm -hmm. um, you yes. know, and our record, our new record yep. being another one of them. And so, yep. you know. Yeah. Because of COVID over 2020, we've had this breathing room where you can allow your mind to kind of relax and see other opportunities, other possibilities. And then with Liz and I, one of the products of that obviously was this partnership and this brand that we're starting. And you can just kind of envision yourself as something different that you were not before. And through these opportunities, you discover new things about yourself. Like I didn't know, you know, that we could put on a podcast, right? that we could like technically do it <laughs> ourselves without any outside help, that we could put on a live stream. Yes. And we would have never taken the time or the risk to do it. The risk is a big part too. Right. And that's great. Which is going to happen in 11 days from now. It's going to be one of those wonderful live performances mm -hmm. that yep. it happens and whatever happens, happens. And I know that there's going to be some magical moment. But it feels good to play. It feels it feels better than ever. Oh, feels so good to play. In fact, one of the best times I, I had was this would have been when did we do our photo shoot? Oh, yeah. It was kind of in the peak of us being shut down and we had our instruments. It was the coolest thing is because we haven't hadn't done any concerts yet and we couldn't, but we got together and the four of us were outside in a park in DC and we started playing. And I think, I think I might've seen dozens of windows of apartments open yeah. 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 and people just stuck their heads out. Starving. Yeah. Starving. It was a really nice thing. So, so I'm hoping that 
that as soon as we can safely and all that, that the live performing will come back. I mean, I can't wait for it to come back. Totally. But in the meantime, you're now taking matters into your own hands. They can shut me down, but I can still do this. They can't shut me up. That's right. Ah, I love that. <laughs> you heard it here first, Stephanie. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> you heard it here first. That's the next T-shirt. <laughs> That's yeah. That can be the Viola Centric Kentucky Avenue like crossover T-shirt. There you go. Done. Yep. Love, love it. it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have talked about that a lot. The traditional ways we had to express ourselves gone doesn't mean that we have to stop expressing ourselves. There are ways to do it. And to Greg's point, totally agree. And I've been thinking about this when live performances do return. There's no doubt in my mind that there will be a real surge of enthusiasm for those opportunities because everyone is starving for that type of connection and to feel inspired and to see people do things that are, you know, inspiring. And if we can prepare for that as uh, music culture and offer up the very best of ourselves in that way, that will go a long way, I think, to the future of what music is going to look like. Right. And I sort of am speaking from a classical bent because we've been struggling with that for a long, long time in our business. But I think that's true for everybody, yeah. you know, just finding ways to like really enhance the experience for those people who are going to be dying for it. Right. Yeah. And I think that as a performer, one thing that I've thought about more and more since in this, the absence of performing is that it's very easy to take for granted what your audiences are feeling. Yes. I think about this with every performance that I've ever done. And you know that somebody in your audience is probably having some sort of great catharsis mm. by the sounds you're making. You know, and that's, a, that's an important thing. It's a really good thing. Yes. And yeah, I'm guilty of this. You know, I've forgotten about the gig by the time I close the car door when I'm mm -hmm. leaving the gig. So I got to remember that I can't think that way for a performance that I have to think, okay, somebody in this audience, I, I hope, is having is having a really, really profound experience. Some are probably not, but the ones that are, they're the, they're the ones to, to take note of. Right. Mm-hmm. And certainly as music starts to come back, I think people are going to be experiencing music that way because they haven't seen live music mm -hmm. in so long. And just to like, just to feel that air move again, yeah. you know, and like volume, yeah. like that physical yes. thing, that's, people are, are missed. You can't get that through a live stream. You never thought you've missed a subwoofer. Right. <laughs> oh, I miss subwoofers so much. <laughs> That feeling um, at an outdoor festival oh, yeah. is just vibrating your whole body when it comes out. Yes. Oh my God. I miss the smell of stale beer. Yes. <laughs> it's great. It's just been so great to have you on here. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave and Stella, so, so glad you're connected to us through Greg, through our dear friend Greg now. And we're just going to have so much fun over the next couple weeks, over the next 11 days. Yeah. And beyond. And yeah. beyond, for sure. And yeah. Greg, thanks for for being game. Uh, anytime, guys. You guys are the best. It's great. So are you, buddy. <laughs> Greg, thank you for being Greg. It's not about me. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to perform with you guys, all of you. Thank you so much for listening to the Viola Centric Podcast. If you enjoy what you're hearing and would like to support us, please consider a contribution through the PayPal or Venmo links in our episode notes. Once again, I'm Liz O'Hara Starr. And I'm Stephanie Knudsen. 
We release new episodes every other Monday, so please subscribe so you don't miss one. In the meantime, connect with us on Facebook and on Instagram and email us at violacentric at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.